One of the seven new deacons, Stephen, was a charismatic leader, working great wonders and signs among the people. Opponents of the gospel attempted to debate with him, but, quote, they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he spoke. Stephen was bold and brash. He was a fearless proponent of the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Because they couldn't beat him on the merits of his arguments, Stephen's adversaries turned to a more barbaric plan. They went to the religious leaders and accused Stephen of publicly blaspheming both God and Moses, a crime punishable by death. They even brought witnesses to testify against him. So Stephen was arrested and brought before the council of the Sanhedrin. As was customary, Stephen was given the opportunity to defend himself, and he went on to deliver a remarkably courageous speech where he carefully summarized Israelite history up to and including the building of the first temple here in Jerusalem. Stephen connected the ancient rituals of the Mosaic law to the new order of things brought about by Jesus. In short, Stephen was alluding to a new way of worshiping God made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus. This new way was a direct challenge to the religious authorities that Stephen was testifying to. Incredibly, Stephen did not hold back on delivering the unvarnished truth, even though he knew his life was on the line. He was staunchly direct. You stiff-necked people, you are just like your ancestors. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They put to death those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Acts 7, 51 and 52. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and cried out against him. But calmly, Stephen gazed up to heaven. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Acts 7, 56 through 60. Stephen was the first person murdered because of his belief in Jesus Christ, what we refer to as a martyr. Now being stoned was a slow and cruel death, but Stephen endured it through his bold faith. He even asked God to have mercy on these merciless men, just as Jesus had done while dying slowly on the cross. Following this brutal event, Luke records that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Acts 8, 1 through 3. 
According to Luke's account, Stephen was dragged out of the northwest gate of the city of Jerusalem, likely taken to a ledge or an elevated place and thrown down and stoned. Now, the likely location for that gate is behind us to the south, inside the walls of what is today the old city. Now, the gate you see here today was built in 1537 under the rule of Suleiman the Magnificent, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. It's still one of the main entrances to the old city of Jerusalem. But the gate during the time of Stephen would have been behind us to the south. That is the story of what happened to Stephen. The details, of course, are in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. And I urge you to read it, go through it carefully. You'll see all that transpired that day that Luke wanted us to know about, that he wrote down for us. And I want to highlight just in a few minutes this morning some of the things that happened in chapter 7. And then importantly, I want to make application for how what happened then relates to us today. So let's do that. Acts chapter 7 verse 1 says, then the high priest said, are these things so? Are what things so? Well, in chapter 6, as you heard, Stephen was accused of blasphemy against Moses against God, against the temple, and against the law that God gave to Moses. What is blasphemy? Well, it could be, A, speaking against God in an irreverent way, speaking against God in a way that is wrong and disrespectful. That could be. Blasphemy could also be speaking against God by saying things about him that aren't true. So the charge is blasphemy. What do you have to say for yourself, Stephen? And again, his life is on the line. And the Bible says that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. So the way he answered these charges is filled with God's Spirit and wisdom. He answered them by rehearsing the history of ancient Israel. He says in verse 2, brethren and fathers, listen, and then he goes into this long 60 verses here, this long explanation of the history of Israel, what happened many years ago, how God gave the law, and he starts to trace historically all that took place. But as he does it brilliantly, as he does it, he's addressing the charges that were made against him. He addressed the most serious crime first, blasphemy against God. How do you answer? Well, he answered not guilty. How? By using the scriptures to explain that I believe about God exactly what the Bible says about God. He does it respectfully, and he does it correctly. And in answering their charges, he's just giving a history lesson. I believe in God just like our fathers believed in God. And then he went on to answer the charges about blaspheming Moses. And instead of blaspheming him, he spoke respectfully of Moses. He told this story, just like the Bible does, about Moses, how he was born, his parents, all of his history. So again, not guilty. Then the charge about blaspheming the law. How do you plead? Not guilty. He says about the law of Moses that 
It was the divine oracle, the living oracle of God. And when you say that, you're saying that the law that God gave was inspired. It, you believe that. It's true. And then the charges about the Jewish temple. He answers by tracing the history of the Jewish temple exactly as the Scripture describes it. And so all of his listeners would have been listening to this point. It's a history lesson to them. And they know the history. Oh, look at that. He's speaking respectfully about God, Moses, the temple, the law, and he's speaking correctly about all four. Yeah, okay, well, all right, we're listening. And they would have been nodding their head in agreeing. But then he changes everything around. He stops defending himself, and he now accuses his listeners. He'd been on trial, but now he's putting them on trial. Verse 47. But Solomon built him a house, speaking of the temple. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? The temple in Jerusalem had become for many there more than just the temple. It had become more than just the place where you were supposed to bring sacrifices and have the feasts and the festivals. For many of them, it had become an idol. They're going to kill Stephen because he said something about this temple. <laughs> They're going to kill Stephen or anybody. Remember, they, they brought Jesus to trial because he said something about the temple. This had become much more than what it was meant to be. It was something that they had made an idol out of. And he said, listen, God doesn't live in buildings. You can't build a building. The prophets have said it uh, that can hold God. And you're responding to things said about the temple as if the temple itself was God. And in verse 51, he lets them have it. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, they took great pride in the fact that the men were circumcised, which was the sign of the covenant. He said, you are not circumcised in your heart and your ears, and that's what matters the most. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. So who's on trial now? It's these people. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Uh, this is not very uh, soft language. This is not speaking to somebody in a way uh, worried about hurting their feelings. This is trying to cut to the heart of the matter. Who have received the law at the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. If you have your notes with you in the auditorium, underline cut to the heart. Cut to the heart means convicted. It means you hear something and the Holy Spirit is going at your heart and letting you know, mm, what's being said here is right. They were cut 
to the heart. And whenever you're cut to the heart, you're convicted of something. That is your opportunity to repent, to change, to learn, and to grow. They could have done all of those things, but they didn't. It says when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They gnashed at him with their teeth. Now, this story could have ended totally differently. We could have read Acts chapter 7 differently for the last 2,000 years. If they had been cut to the heart, convicted, and responded correctly, here's how Acts chapter 7 could have been. And they heard the words of Stephen. They were cut to the heart. They asked God, Lord, are these things true? The Spirit of God revealed them. They changed their opinion. They changed what they thought. They became followers of Jesus. That's how Acts chapter 7 could have been written. And these people in this synagogue called the synagogue of the freedmen became followers of Jesus. Many of them went into all the world. They were ex-slaves, but now they were free, but then they were slaves now for Christ. They went everywhere preaching. Acts chapter 7 could have told their story on the right side of history, and more importantly, the right side of eternity, if they had just taken what he said, allowed the conviction to take them where God wanted it to go. But they didn't. But they didn't. Instead, they became murderers. You know, there is that moment in all of our lives when we hear something, And this moment happens over and over again that is true and is right and is from God. There's that moment where we can either, "Mm, yeah, that's right. I have been flat out wrong in my attitude and my response and my thoughts, and I'm going to change. Or we can respond like they did in anger. Who are you to tell me that? So I think if we're going to make application to this, I think we need to stop and consider how do we respond when we get criticized by someone? There's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. Here's what the right way looks like to me. Whenever in life somebody says something to me that that seems to me to be criticism. And would you not agree that these words that Stephen spoke were criticism? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised at heart. I mean, you don't get any stronger in that language. Whenever we're criticized, I think the best thing to do, and this is going to take some real maturity on our part, is to listen. Listen to what they're saying. Really, really listen. Actively listen. Okay, What are you saying? And even to the point of asking questions, well, tell me, how did that make you feel? And why do you think I'm wrong? To really listen. If they had really listened to what Stephen was saying, their lives would have been different. Their eternity would have been different. They weren't listening. Not really. They were just, the words were coming and and, and they were waiting till they're done so they could respond. When somebody criticizes you, don't cut them off. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. How in the world do we grow? 
How in the world do we change? We have to listen if somebody says something to us that may be hard to hear. I've been married for uh, over 40 years. How has God spoken to me in my life? Through the Bible, yes. Through messages in church, yes. In prayer, yes. But you know, I think the most sanctifying things that have ever happened in my life, the things in my life that have caused me to change more, to become more like Christ, more than anything else, is my wife speaking some words of constructive criticism in my life. Honestly, honey, uh, that, that, what you, that what you said to that person, I don't think you said it in the right way. Uh, honey, uh, I don't think you responded to our grandchild the right way. Honey, I think you, I know she loves me. And when the words come, and I know they're from God, I have an opportunity to respond and to change. So listen. And then after you listen, number two, ask God, Lord, is this from you? Because if you're cut to the heart, it might be from God. Lord, is this from you? And sometimes it is. God will say, yes, what she is saying, what he is saying, there, it's, it's true. You, you need to take it to heart. And if that's true, then take it to heart. Look at it as a great opportunity, a Bible school moment to change. But sometimes God will say, no, it's not from me. He will. Sometimes people's criticism is nitpicky. It's petty. It's, uh, it's just their own problem more than it's something for you. And if that's the case, you ask God, if that's the case, just let it go. Forget that. Get the dust off your feet and move on. Don't take it into your heart. But if it's from God, that's your opportunity to change. Even harsh criticism can be painful for the moment, but can produce incredibly good fruit. They did not listen. They weren't interested in listening, and they didn't ask God if it was true. Instead, verse 59, they stoned Stephen. And as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, then he knelt down, verse 60, and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. The word martyr is sometimes translated in your Bible, witness. Sometimes it's translated martyr. Sometimes witness. Uh, a martyr is a witness. It's someone who's witnessing that Jesus has risen from the dead, but not with their words, not merely with their words or merely with their behavior, but with their life. They are given the ultimate witness that Jesus is Lord by dying to say that it is so. And he was just the first. Since him, there have been literally millions of Christians that have died, been martyred to witness that Christ is Lord. It's happened for the last 2,000 years. It is happening now. There are countries in this world where people are laying down their lives to be a witness for Jesus. I don't know if you ever read stories of the martyrs of the church. You should. 
They are amazing. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, it's the classic that tells the story of martyrs throughout church history. And at first, the reading is like, oh, that's pretty depressing. But then the reading is incredibly encouraging. And I'll tell you why it is encouraging. Because Christian martyrs teach us. They teach us lessons that we need. Here's the first. They teach us that we can stand for God. No matter how we are challenged, they teach us that we can stand up for God in the middle of whatever we have to go through in life. They teach us that by their lives. They teach us that they were able to stand for God even to the point of death. And when you read that, you realize, if that's true, I can stand for God. (laughs) I can stand for God in what I'm going through and whatever difficulties I have in school, at work, uh, my job, in my neighborhood. I can stand for God. If they could stand in that way, I can stand a little persecution. I can stand a little, ha-ha, you're stupid. I I can stand a little whatever somebody says. They are an inspiration to us. Second thing you get from reading their stories is it shows you how great a reward lies in store for those who are willing to stand for their faith. As Stephen is being stoned to death, what does he do? He looks up into heaven and he says this, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is described often as sitting at the right hand of God. Stephen said, I see him standing at the right hand of God. And I like to think Jesus is standing up (laughs) and giving a welcome, an ovation to Stephen. that That Jesus is standing up at the right hand of God saying, come on. Come on, in a few minutes, hang in there. You're going to be with me. I see what's happening here. I love you. I honor you. Come. Jesus talked about rewards in store for those who were willing to endure to the end, a martyr's crown for those who were willing to stand and, yes, die for their faith. Christian martyrs teach us a third thing. They teach us how to respond when we are persecuted, not with anger, not with vengeance, not with I'll get you, but with forgiveness. Stephen dies saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When someone persecutes a Christian, you know what they want you to do? They want you to respond in anger. Why? Because that proves to them that you are a phony. You who talk about love, you who talk about Jesus, who forgave his enemies, you're not like that at all. They can get your goat really easy. And when they do, you lash out. See, these Christians are like everybody else. But when you respond like Stephen did in love, that rocks their world. That is the evidence that Christ is real. There are two people in the New Testament who prayed a prayer of forgiveness for those who were going to kill them. First was Jesus. 
Worship team, would you return, please? And the second was Stephen. Now, when you read that Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know, know what they're doing, you can say, you can dismiss it if you want to and say, yeah, well, that was Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the Son of God, of course he could do that. But when you read of Stephen, how do you brush that off? Stephen is every bit a man, every bit like any one of us here inside the room. Yet he was able to do that? Father, forgive those as they're cursing him and going to kill him. As the rocks hit him one by one, Father, forgive them. How could any human do that? Well, because this human, Stephen, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something you can be too. And because this human, Stephen, had the example in his mind of Jesus. It had been less than three years since Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In less than three years, Stephen is being hit by rocks, saying the same thing, remembering the example, the model of Christ. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And as we do, we are going to remember what Jesus did. Died for our sin. Died with the words on his lips, Father, forgive them. And we're going to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, brand new and afresh. And we're going to ask that the example Christ set for us, forgive them, would be something we could live and not just read about. So get your communion elements, those at home, go to the fridge, get them. If you don't have them yet in the auditorium, they're in the back. Go back and get your communion elements, get ready. After this song, I'm going to return, and we're going to take communion together. <laughs> 